Woo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. And it's Tuesday morning, and I'm already excited for dinner on Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually recording this on Monday morning, so I'm going to let listeners in behind the curtain to say, you're messing up the days here, Megan. Oh, well, we do that every week. I okay, feel like okay. the true listeners know where we're going. So I'm excited for Monday night dinner, but it's also going to be Tuesday night dinner. Yes. So in oh. reality, I'm excited for both You're nights. only half lying. Yeah, exactly. So why are you excited for dinner? Okay, because we are walking this morning and you gave me this like 14 page PowerPoint outline of what you're going to cook for dinner tonight. And it sounds so good. It's this like intricate beef stew Uh and you gave these scientific principles about (laughs) how it was going to work and breaking it down. And I'm so excited. I was talking about collagen. It got quite erotic actually, as I described beef stew. You know, some people talk about love language being (laughs) different things like gifts or acts of service or whatever. Our sex language is beef stew. Oh, you were, you were (laughs) describing it and you're like, the collagen is going to break down (laughs) And it was like, it was very sexy. It's going to be so sexy. Also, I just told you, you look sexy. You do look sexy. Uh And you also smell. And I feel like the two are related because the hormones are popping. You think my hormones are popping? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think my hormones are doing so well right now? Because you look good. Okay. okay, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do actually think there's a correlation between like looking sexy and hormones popping. But also maybe it's because you're like recovering from your race too. Maybe. Well, you know. The way we interpret science is just via aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, of the beef stew. <laughs> of the beef and of the beefy man. That's right true. Here. Actually, your pancake aesthetics. This is you've just been like on a cooking roll. What is up with this intro? You're just complimenting me over and over. I'm really feeling it. Okay, so it. this week, this weekend, I made one of the worst pancakes of all time. It, it was, was a nightmare. It was like a pancake scramble. I didn't measure. I was using Kodiak cake uh, batter, which I really love. Yeah, and I didn't measure. I was just like tossing the batter in, tossing the water in, and mixing it up and then toss it in the pan. And it was basically a glorified scramble. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this batter. It is not good. You stepped up. You made a pancake. We actually tossed my poor pancake scramble. And it was like the best pancake. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I was so disappointed in your pancake. It was the saddest thing I've almost ever seen. You know, I was going to eat it though. And it was going to be delicious. Here's my plan. It's like, you know how there's like egg scrambles? Uh That's what I was envisioning. I was going to toss some blueberries in there, some maple syrup, some nuts. (laughs) And it was just going to be a pancake scramble. I was going to like, go for it. It's so weird because in some things in life, you are so on top of it, so focused. And then some things in life, you have zero attention to detail. I'm a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, this really takes just a second. But do you know the secret to my pancakes? Was it putting the egg in there? No. Did you put cream in there? I feel like your secret is just putting tons of cream, eggs, and sugar in everything, including things that don't necessarily deserve cream, eggs, and sugar, and it works out. Well, the cream is kind of touching on what's right. It's just a ton of butter. I like it. A ton of butter at the end to like finish it off. Yeah. Well, butter is a love language. Yeah. Well, you complimented me so much and I'm going to compliment you. Megan, your um, eyebrow right now is really standing out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you mean it's like standing out as in like vertically facing out because that's probably a reality or yeah. is it like they look good? No, it actually looks incredible. I was just oh, thank you. I was just trying to, <laughs> your entire, everything about you looks incredible. Um, right now you're rocking the coolest little shorts just a bra. Honestly, Megan, if we had a video feed on this, we would go so viral. So again, can we do a YouTube live feed at some point of this podcast? We should actually. I would love it. You would be into it? Same outfit? Same outfit. Well, holy shit. Here's what happened. So I've been loving John G shorts recently and yeah. they had a Black Friday sale and I was like, I want a bunch of John G shorts, but I messed up and uh-huh. I accidentally ordered the three inch John G shorts it was the best. instead of the four inch John G shorts. And we've had some date runs that have had a lot of booty. Yeah. It's a lot more booty than I'm used to, but I like it. <laughs> a lot more booty than I'm used to too. And I love it. Yeah. I wasn't like entirely comfortable at first. And then I 
felt so free. Your whole ass is out. Like, yeah. do you remember that actually in high school or whatever? I'm not sure if they still do this, but um, they used to have people stand and then put their hands down. Oh, yeah, we did that. And that was to determine how long shorts had to be? Yeah, and I like, honestly, in high school, I was I was slutting it up. Oh, you were? <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, I wasn't. No, I, but I also, think I like inadvertently was. I yeah. never tried to, but I was just like, I never, this is the thing, I like never invested in my clothes. Yeah. So things just got like shorter and shorter and uh-huh. I was like, oops. <laughs> <As you grew. laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, right now, if you did that, test uh your shorts would go to like your elbow (laughs) they're like actually inverse shorts somehow they go upwards rather than downwards but i think the new style actually is to have like the shorts like you know how you have like the high rise and then like the the short tops so it's like crop tops and like the high rise but we haven't necessarily been doing that why don't you you made a comment there that's pretty interesting (laughs) this is a little bit of a diversion before we get to all of our amazing topics (laughs) um on quote slutting it up as a joke yes yes. because we uplift that oh yeah Um, oh you know what? I like never did that in high school and college, but the older I get, I'm yeah. like, by the time I'm 75, I'm going to be like a freak. The, and, the shorts are going to be like an inch long. <laughs> and if you could go back in time, don't you wish you did? <laughs> yeah. No. No, but I don't, I don't know. I think that the more like I see just how much like we internalize like a patriarchal, um, almost like puritanical society mm-hmm. in the way we talk about young women, particularly yes. like high yeah. school aged and college aged women. Because I remember the types of things people would say and I'm like, Damn, I hope that's changed with Gen Z. Like, <laughs> yeah. We should all be wearing the shortest shorts possible, metaphorically. Well, I don't know. I feel like sometimes when I like drive by the school bus stop in our neighborhood, yeah. I wonder, I do feel like schools have a slightly different dress code. Yeah. Or maybe they just don't, like, don't reinforce it anymore. I don't know. Maybe we're becoming old people. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what's happening here. <laughs> and you're going to get a lot of good old person vibes, some freaky old person vibes on this awesome episode today. And one in short shorts, clearly. That's how like <laughs> the trends roll with each other. And buttery pancakes. <laughs> yeah. um, so a quick roadmap of what we're going to talk about. Quick first is on some post-race recovery, some thought there, thoughts there. Uh, books we loved. Uh, talking about the elliptical and the uphill treadmill, two things that are really important for winter training. Talk about Taylor Swift's training. Oh, yeah. Swifty in the house. Got sent that a million times by p- listeners. A wild study on omega-3s, something we haven't really thought about that much before. Cool physiology on compression socks. Then a big list of news and fun things, including uh, Strava messaging. It's real. Uh, a study on narcissistic coaches might be different than you assumed, different than we assumed. Uh, taper design from Coach Megan and hot takes. And in a shocking upset, I think the thing that I'm most excited for is the study on omega threes. Yeah, isn't it okay? It is. We'll get into it later, but it's truly like wild science. Yeah. And I think before in my head, I never, I like, I knew the science and like omega threes are weak shit. I know. That's what I always thought. I always thought that too. Once my rheumatologist was like, you should take omega threes. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of scoffed at her and I was like, "Eh, fish candy. Yeah. And you know what? The science is actually really good. And I'm kind of baffled. The fish candy works. (laughs) You take this omega fist in your face, doctor. (laughs) But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, First, my recovery from the ultra. Um, It's actually kind of interesting and maybe a weird physiological, like, relic that we don't necessarily fully understand. I initially had very fast recovery. Like my HRV was high, my resting heart rate was pretty low. um, And then near the end of the week, everything went to shit. And this overlaps with what I've seen a lot in coaching and I think you've seen too. Um, So I don't fully understand it, but it's pretty, pretty cool. I've seen that honestly a lot of yeah. Across a lot of races where like initially like HRV is high, like resting heart rate is low and things are looking good. And then it almost seems like there's like this inertia yeah. that catches up to the body. And I don't know if that corresponds with starting to train again yeah. or like what that might be related to. Granted, I do see it even in the absence of training. So even if an athlete is just resting, yeah. that sometimes there's this like nonlinear recovery response. What do you think yours is related to? So I've heard theories about the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it did happen when I restarted my running, but 
I imagine it's more of a nervous system response. And the way I illustrated it to you was on Saturday night, I had done like a little bit of a longer run that morning. I looked at my watch, which has, uh, you know, daily HRV levels, which on Garmin is measured in the stress metric, which while not perfect, is an okay way to monitor some of your background stress levels. And actually we talked about this in the podcast last week. It's very granular. It gives you stress levels like every 10 minutes. And my like data overdrive brain was like, heck with that. And so I turned mine off, but you kept yours on. So mine's usually pretty low in the blue. And I turned to it. And when I was in the shower that night, and it was so scary. (laughs) It was just max bars all day long. And I'm like, oh shit, I need to change my approach right now. So I'm leaning back into recovery, even though I felt amazing at the beginning of the week. A good reminder to everyone, as you recover from these events, it's totally okay to work back in. Like we love our athletes rebuilding their speed pretty quickly, but be aware of non-linear recovery processes. Like I think I'm in the middle of an extremely non-linear process. And I think it's more relevant for races where you really go to the well, or also if it's your first time at this distance. So you're gaining ultra experience, but I wouldn't say you have this huge like reservoir of long, long distance ultras. Yeah, definitely in my body, I wonder if that has something to do with it. If like, as you accumulate this experience, it will get better and better. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I cut you off there or made a hand signal is that I was just thinking that perhaps what happened is that's when you started wearing the new Jonji shorts. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you were like, oh, I'm too stressed out. My I'm stress levels got extremely erratic. Thinking about this booty all, all day the- long. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. You can't, some thoughts about the booty, probably good for hormone <laughs> levels. Too many thoughts about the booty, not good at all. Your watch is going to hate you. It's not not productive. Okay. But anyways, before we had this booty digression, which was, which was very important. <laughs> Incredibly. I actually saw something um, on Instagram that Ruth Croft has been struggling with fatigue since Western States. Interesting. And you know, we're talking about- this, A year like, and a half ago. Yes. Yeah, so we're talking wow. about this like non-linear recovery time in relation to your race, which has been over a week, but I also see it on longer time cycles too. And I think yeah. when it stretches out over periods of like weeks or months, that's when you need to be like, okay, let's like really investigate it. But I think it also just goes the insurance the importance of like not stacking ultras and really thinking about like tapering and recovering after races do you think ruth is thinking about that booty (laughs) (laughs) i think everyone's thinking about a booty (laughs) maybe maybe. most people well if they saw these shorts they'd be thinking about yours um yeah no i mean definitely see that in athletes so always pay attention to this pay attention to how your body feels and make sure you don't play it off like i think it's very easy whether you're after a race or not to be like okay these fatigue levels these signals i'm getting about my resting heart rate or hrv or whatever are nothing and it's like yeah in a day or two cycle maybe it is nothing Mm -hmm. but for me it also corresponded with kind of feeling shitty and so on sunday went off the training plan and just hopped on the elliptical and it was great it was so fun and my body responded awesomely so have that type of leeway in whatever your training plan is your coach will understand um it's always good to do like and i always want athletes to do that especially on things like a sunday before a rest day perfect time to cross train perfect time to deload your body and like that maybe that's the final reflection i had is like running is a lot of impact on the body. And I think sometimes people don't talk about that enough. Oh, for sure. And then I feel like when you start incorporating cross training into training and your energy levels become a little bit higher, you're like, wow, the pounding, like the actual physical pounding of running is legit. Yeah. And I think it's missing in training theory. Like for some reason, no one, like we talk about that in the context of injuries Mm -hmm. that running is impact and you need to be careful. I don't think everybody talks about like, sometimes I start a run and in the first mile I'm like, okay, you know, I'm running on, what's a more massive planet? Venus um, or something like a planet with more gravity because I feel like I weigh at least 900 pounds. Um, I don't, it's terrible. And, um, you know, I think that that type of process is something that people just don't discuss enough and training theory should accommodate. So I think that's a good, um, 
you know, transition into talking about your use of the elliptical right now in conjunction with some of the other cross-training things we've heard about recently from like Parker, Parker Valby um, and what our thoughts are there. Well, I'm leaning into the elliptical and leaning into cross-training. <laughs> yeah. so I feel like this podcast is great because it's like truly shown the evolution of how we think about training and how we think about our own training. And I have come to the conclusion uh-huh. after being fucked over many times again and again and again, I'm starting to see a pattern that I feel like the trial of miles, like in a pure running perspective is not for me. No matter how easy you go. No matter how easy I go, it's like, you know, I have this heart health context. I have, I'm postpartum and it's like, it just does not seem to make a lot of sense. And so I'm leaning into cross training and I feel like it's a convenient time because there's all these examples of athletes that are starting to excel on different types of training. And it's been fun to just kind of own it and be like, I'm cross training, I'm running. And I feel like I'm becoming a stronger and healthier athlete with that. Yeah. I mean, you're so fucking strong. What you do on the elliptical is incredible. And my theory is that the elliptical is a magic machine. Oh, it's a, did you know I named the elliptical? What? We haven't talked about this. Our elliptical? Our elliptical. I think it's very important that whenever you're like doing epic things on machines, that the machines have names. Well, and I was riding her yesterday. Okay. Well, this is okay. (laughs) Do you want to guess her name? Guess her name. Um, Audrey. No. Why Audrey? Just came to your head. It sounds like someone I'd want to ride. (laughs) (laughs) So check your past, check your, go into like the Facebook vault and be like, Audrey. I actually don't think I know any Audrey's personally, so it's a good name. Okay. But it's a Nordic track elliptical. So I was like, it has to be a name starting with N. And so she's called Natasha. Natasha. After Natasha Leone. Oh, we love Natasha. She's like fiery. She's hilarious. She's a New Yorker. Natasha Leggero as well. Another amazing comedian. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Perfect. Isn't it great? Natasha also has one of her entire side panels off and all yeah. of her internal wiring. Yeah. So maybe this is the one-inch John G. Shorts equivalent for an elliptical. Exactly. But I feel like Natasha Leone would own that. Yeah. You know, she's she like, she's feisty. But anyway, so I like have this great affinity now to the elliptical, to, to Natasha. And I go downstairs and I'm like having this joy being on the elliptical. But you went down yesterday and rode the elliptical. And I got so scared because you ride ellipticals aggressively. Uh-huh. I was like, you are going to rail Natasha. She's going to be <laughs> fucked. And I'm not going to have elliptical to train but on. No, I think the thing is, that's actually how you look too. You just think I look weird when you see me do it. Okay, your noise is like four times louder from the basement than My mine. My personal noise or the elliptical's noise? Both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was watching New Girl on the elliptical yesterday, so I was doing a lot of laughing. What a good uh, crush training show that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll give you that credit. Maybe I just don't have the coordination you do. But I mean, I think it points out the magic of the elliptical in the sense that I remember when I trained on it, um, I had a hip injury in 2012, 2013, and I trained on the elliptical for three months after that. And all of my breakthroughs that happened as an athlete essentially coalesced in that one time mm-hmm. after. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of possible explanations for that. Maybe it was the break I took. Maybe it was just an inertia of at that point I had been running for six years and, you know, it all built up. But I think it was the elliptical because I, oh, I agree on that machine so much. And, you know, I think sometimes when people think about the elliptical, they think about someone just on there at like 60 or 70 RPMs, not really doing much. Which is like, if you go to a lot of college gyms, it's yeah. like a bunch of people doing that, like reading magazines. And it's like, no, you can like rip this machine to shreds. It's pretty impressive. And I guarantee if we had video of Parker Valby doing that, it would look like that. Just high cadence, um, you know, a lot of motion, like furious motion on there. And uh, I'm deciding after, um, you know, revisiting those thoughts, Parker Valby, um, your experience, and then also what we see in coaching. This is a place where we have evolved that I'm going to dedicate this winter to the winter of, I'm going to still run a lot, but <laughs> also cross training and riding Natasha or uh, yeah, Natasha. Railing Natasha or riding Natasha? 
Um, gently caressing Natasha. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I need to ask Nat- for Natasha's consent somehow. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes based on those noises, there isn't pure consent out there. Based on the wires coming out, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like pure evidence. Actually, or maybe that is like the ultimate version of, you know, robot acceptance or that's, something. That's a good point. Well, actually, I think for me, the reason why the elliptical is such a great stimulus is because it's so freaking hard. Yeah. Like it's so different from running in the context that the elliptical for me has consistent resistance throughout the stride. Definitely. And so on Saturday, I did an elliptical workout. And then on Sunday, I did power hill strides on the treadmill. And the hill strides in terms of like RPE and how it felt, felt so much harder yeah. or, felt, or felt so much easier than the elliptical because I felt like it was like I wasn't having this continuous resistance through each of my steps like I have in the elliptical. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. So the basic reason we wanted to flag this is winter is the perfect time to consider both of these things in tandem, that running is a lot of impact. You probably don't want to overload your body year round unless this is your trial of miles time, which is totally great, especially if you're in a place like California. Um, but a lot of winter running is more impact. Like I just get more beat up in winter. I don't respond as well. And last year I did a ton of biking and I do want to get back to that. But, um, you know, based on Parker Valley, based on you, I'm like, well, there might be even more gains to be had on the elliptical through this. So keep that in mind. Elliptical is your friend. Biking is your friend and uphill treadmill is your friend. Like you combine those three and you can do a running approach that kind of doesn't overload your body. You're not too beat up. Those stress bars are a little lower um, and you're still adapting. And I love that you brought up the point of winter too, because honestly, sometimes like winter training is a drag. Kind of sucks at moments. Like this Sunday when I went went down to the pain cave and like cross trained down there, it was like, it was 20 degrees outside. It was a sheet of ice and it was really nice to go down into our pain cave and just Uh like blast the music and be warm. And (laughs) so that was great. Were you doing music? Or an audiobook? What were you doing? Actually, I've been doing a lot of audiobooks. I yeah. do music for workouts and then audiobooks for just like general activity. And I love audiobooks. Yeah. I, maybe at, over time, I won't ev- even run outside ever. Yeah, I'll yeah, just be like doing audiobooks. <laughs> oh, and they're just watching New Girl or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's like how I've changed in parenting. Because there was a time when just a few years ago where I had never run on a treadmill. You actually told me at one point, you're like, Megan, I don't know how. And yeah, I was like, yeah. David, you're an advanced human. That was you actually figure my it concern. Out. Yeah, you're like, I'm afraid I'm going to fall. No, no, no. <laughs> and also, every time I had gotten the treadmill, it feels so fast. It's like, how do people do it? Um, so instead of that, I almost always do uphills on the treadmill, which is great for your body too. So combine these three things. Like, if you can get an elliptical, it's a great tool. Biking is incredible as well. Also, break, biking outside brings me so much joy, like yeah. infinite, um, infinite amount of joy. So get a gravel bike, get a bike if you can, and it's great too. And a good trainer for it. Um, and you combine all those things and it can lead to really great places. So quick transition to, you mentioned audiobooks and books and things. Um, you had a book you want to talk about. I had one I wanted to talk about really quick because people love our recommendations. Okay. Well, you go first because my recommendation is kind of like a half recommendation. Oh, whoa. I love the book, but it took me six months to finish in the context of like reading other books too, which is yeah. kind of an anomaly for me. And so you should go first. Okay. Well, my recommendation is Matthew Perry's book, Friends, Lovers, and Big Terrible Things. So... I just listened to this um, as an audiobook, and it's wonderfully read by Matthew Perry. And it is especially poignant given the fact that he died um, around a month ago now. Um, and a lot of this book is about his journey with addiction. It's incredibly funny. I heard um, it's like incredibly raw yeah. and just like funny and raw at the same time, which I think is some of my favorite types of writing. And it's beautiful and it makes me love humans. And it makes me love Matthew Perry as like a tribute to him in you know his life and his beautiful, but also fucked up life. Yeah. How do you think the book or like the context of the book would have been, had you read it before he died versus after he died? I mean, 
I guess for me, it just adds to the emotional weight of it, the mm-hmm. heft of it. Yeah. Because um, he was like such a beautiful and fully lived human. Or... Well, and just that he had struggles and he had worked through them. I mean, the book starts with a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And to in know- how? Like in what? And um, essentially uh, opioid mm-hmm. abuse that led to him going into a coma for a couple of weeks. And talks about essentially how much he wanted to live. And the up and down of that process, knowing especially that you know now he's no longer with us, is like one of those ultimate gratitude moments of understanding that these things that we're striving for, whatever, uh, you know, you can achieve your highest highs or or accomplish the things you want to. And then the lowest lows await and the journey is what matters. And so, um, it was a beautiful book and I just strongly recommend it. It's also laugh out loud, funny in ways that you can't really know until you hear it. It is remarkable. Also, it sounds like a great audiobook. Like I feel like there's a couple of distinctions for me that for books that are like audiobooks yeah. versus reading books. So for me, for audiobooks, I only do like nonfiction or biography. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, like with fiction, sometimes I like, especially when I'm like exercising, I kind of find myself coming in and out of it yeah. a little bit more in ways that like now I'm like, okay, I read physical fiction books and I do audiobooks that are nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, do, have you like made that distinction? I love that. I mean, I, I tried to listen to Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Oh, such book a good book. You recommend. Yes. And tons of people recommend. It's like one of the best science fiction type books ever. I read it though as a physical book. Yeah. And I just couldn't pay attention. <laughs> yeah. uh, like even in the hot tub, I just couldn't follow it. I was like, ah, oh, this is too much for me. It's not working right now. Um, and then agree on nonfiction. I've read so many great nonfiction books. Um, I tried to like listen to Spare. Um, oh my God. I did too. Yeah. And, I, I stopped. Oh, it was a nightmare. I, I And I don't know why, but I got literally like three pages in and was like, not for me. I don't know why, but something about this rubs me the wrong okay, way. Okay. Well, I was listening to that on the plan to shame any when we went to UTMB this summer. And I actually, I got like a couple hours in yeah. and it's very rare. Like I have this almost this like deep principle that I finish all books and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. I had to stop. <laughs> yeah. Like this book's going to be spare in my audible <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what's your book? Okay, my book is a fiction book. It's called Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mendel. And she wrote Station Eleven, which I love. Incredible. And as a side note, it's a great Netflix miniseries. Like HBO. HBO. Sorry. No, it's okay. I'm blurring them. Actually, it's Max. (laughs) (laughs) You are both wrong. (laughs) Speaking of worst brand decision. Ever. HBO is like so, the best brand. Like people try to be HBO. Yeah, so, so HBO, don't try to be someone else. For those that don't know, HBO existed as like a standalone app. Then they rebranded to HBO Max to say that, oh, we're incorporating other things. That's okay. You're still, the HBO brand is really strong. Still include it. And then David Zaslov came in as CEO of this big conglomerate and changed it to Max. And you had to download a new app. And I heard that they had such a drop off. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no fucking shit. Yeah. You had the best brand of all time. And now you're devaluing it by Max, whatever that is. Which just reminds me of like the old Cinemax things that do you ever remember? Oh on, yeah, and they'd be scrambled on uh-huh. the TV. Yeah, exactly. And then occasionally you get like a passing boob. <laughs> yeah, or something. yeah. <laughs> and you'd be like, I, I can get off on the static. That's hilarious. That's but what it reminds me of now. And did we download the app? Do we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a shocker. We've been watching Silicon Valley on there. Which oh, is a Silicon great show. Valley is so good. Actually, this is our second time watching Silicon Valley, and it's relevant because recently I've been falling asleep, like yeah. fifteen to twenty minutes, or sometimes even shorter into episodes. But if we watch a show twice, the probability that I get <laughs> the full and complete scene is yeah. much higher. <laughs> a little bit higher. But so, Station Eleven, an absolutely life changing miniseries on HBO on um, Max. Watch it; it's incredible. And so, her next book, her um, next book, Sea of Tranquility, is so good. It's essentially a time travel novel. And at first, honestly, I was like, fuck this. It's going into the realms of spare, which is like where Vera, I mean, I've 
very rarely quit books. Yeah. But I just felt like it was it's a it's a, like a multiple character, multiple time point time travel. Yeah. And so I was like halfway through the book, I was like, I don't even know where this book is going. But the second half of the book is some of the most amazing writing and reflections just on like being human and why we're here in existence. And it's worth like investing six months yeah. into it if you can't read the whole thing at once. And it's good. Yeah. How does it end? <laughs> Not telling, gotta read it. Okay, what if you had to describe a color that describes the ending, which color would it be? Uh it'd be glitter. Glitter? <laughs> yes. Okay, that sounds like my type of book. Actually, because the whole the whole book is kind of like you threw this like ball of glitter yeah, yeah. into the air and you're like waiting for it all to like come together into something, and then by the end you're like, I see. It's like a glitter Rubik's cube. Exactly. Where it ends yes. Up. Yeah. Dude, you're such a good improviser. That was an amazing response. <laughs> I don't know I about that. So um, okay, maybe one final thing before we get to the study is uh, an important physical update. Leo's head size came back at his one-year appointment, and his head, compared to his body, is so large that it is a little bit scary. Well, okay, yeah, we could just give percentiles. Okay. I, his head is in the 89th percentile, which is big. Granted, it's not in like the 99th percentile, but his body weight is like in the 8th percentile. Yeah. So when you do the head to body weight calculation, it's like, well, basically his entire existence is his head. So how did you give birth to this baby, wait, Megan? Oh, yeah, I can feel it still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very aware of the fact that this 89th percentile head came out from down there. <laughs> Babies are remarkable. It's so interesting to see him get older. And we try not to talk about it too much because we understand baby stuff is annoying. I remember before... Leo was born. Every time anyone talked about babies or posted about babies or anything, just being like, please show me dogs only. That is not interesting to me. And now it's such a large part of my personality to share baby stuff <laughs> yeah. that I'm very self-conscious about it. But I've also had to embrace that. I guess I'm that old boring dad now. No, you're an amazing dad. Also, your stuff is funny. And okay. it's actually like, it makes me laugh. And I feel like even if you didn't have a child, it'd make you laugh. But here's my realization about having a child. And I should have told this to you years before. So okay, okay. you have always been kind of on this, like you were never sure about having a baby. Uh -huh. And I feel like until Leo popped out, you weren't like even fully sure. Two months in. But what I should have told you is that when you, once you have a kid, you can order off the kid's menu. Like oh, you're choosing true. your own side. Yes, it's yes, great. Yes, yes. So now like Leo is eating real food. And every time you go to a restaurant and I'm like perusing the kids menu and I'm like, do I want a quesadilla yeah. today or mac and cheese or a corn dog? <laughs> and you know, he eats like six bites and I get the rest. I always wanted ch to order chicken tenders at restaurants and now I can. It's, it's like, it's like having a free side every time. But maybe I could have ordered off the kids menu without this. Yeah, it's great. We get two meals. It's like we get to test taste everything. But why do you need a kid? I, again, that's the thing. It's like, you know, everyone's like, I had a kid and I understand what true love means. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you also could have gone on like a mushroom trip <laughs> yeah. to... Peru, or you could have taken some ayahuasca. So there are other options other than babies. But we love Leo very much, that big-headed bitch. big-headed bitch. Also, he's an extreme extrovert, which is confusing. Yeah. We must have like deep, deep, like recessive extrovert genes that have somehow come together to create this extrovert. I don't know what's going on, but it'll be an interesting story ahead. Okay, so let's get on to some cool stories. First, a quick promo for Grayson Murphy's training journal. Uh, not sponsored, but we, we coach Grayson, and this is remarkable. So as you're thinking about tracking things like stress and everything like that, it can help to have a hard copy journal. And Grayson's training journals are awesome. They have 
quick tips in there. They have great quotes. They're just really fun to write in. It's a perfect option if you're if you like journaling on in other topics, or if you don't journal and you just want to try to experiment with it. Um, so if you go to Grayson's website, which we're going to link to in the show notes, and use the code SWAP10, SWAP10, uh, you get 10% off. So and you support Grayson, small business, doing amazing things. So I uh, wanted to give that a quick shout out. Also, a really cool thing too is that Grayson partnered with SWAP athlete Sarah Hull, yeah. and Sarah made stickers for the training journal, and the stickers are so cool. I kind of have this like forever five-year-old obsession with stickers, and I just want to put them everywhere. Yeah, so cool. And Grayson, world champion. Champion, uh, trail runner. Um, and I think supporting someone like that doing really cool things, uh, is awesome. Plus these things are just really fun to write in. Yeah. Not going to lie. When I heard a world champion was like doing a pen and paper training journal, yeah. I was like, sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Taylor Swift real quick. Um, this will just be real fast. Oh no, got, this should not be real fast. It should be. It's important. We need to get to science. Okay. I'm not even like a big Taylor Swift fan and I'm like, this is more important than okay. science. Taylor Swift is science. <laughs> Taylor She's Swift. the time person of the year. God damn it. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Taylor Swift is the, like encompasses everything into one person. She encompasses. She is science. It is actually interesting. Oh God. I just said, I'm going to go fast. And now I'm like doing a diversion <laughs> in my head, um, but she is kind of an avatar for a, what a lot of people want her to be. And yes, she's probably yeah. cultivated that intentionally in the sense that have you heard of Gaylor? Have you heard of this? No. Okay. And I'm kind of afraid because I'm like, I'm not up to date on some of the Taylor Swift stuff. And I'm like, shoot. Well, it's even better that I get okay. to tell you. Yeah. Um, in fact, some listeners have pr- proposed that we do a segment where I just tell you about things from pop culture <laughs> yeah, that you're too busy, I don't know. You're too busy reading things <laughs> yeah. to actually know. You're busy reading scientific studies and I'm here being like, okay, Megan, this Gaylor, what this is. You know, is- I would have known about it if I didn't get like more than a few hours through spare. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. So it's like a 10 year long theory mm-hmm. that Taylor Swift is secretly, um, you know, gay oh. and that she's been dropping hints in all of her songs in releases in dates. I mean, they get into straight numerology with this stuff and it's such a intensely closely held belief, um, by many people that when she came out and came out, um, <laughs> but when she started uh, dating Travis Kelsey, I know I was like, tell me where the Travis Kelsey equation works in here. Who a lot of people would describe as seemingly from the outside, like an extremely heterosexual choice, um, like a tight end for the <laughs> literally called tight end from the um, Kansas City Chiefs. Um, it was like one of the more heartbreaking moments of their lives. So mm. it points out, I think that Taylor Swift is, you know, you can project a lot of things onto this type of person, which is probably what we're doing when we talk about Taylor Swift ultra runner. Well, I'm sure it'd be fascinating to do like a deep dive as to like what you project onto Taylor Swift yeah. and what that means about your own internal thoughts. It's like having, it's like Taylor Swift is like the version of doing like a Freud deep dive on dreams. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like it Do a you lot. project anything onto her? Do I? Just booty and boobs, right? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, I feel like, and she's also, that's not, I think how, like, she's built her brand. Though maybe it is. I don't follow that closely. I, I just don't follow, follow, yeah. I just follow the conspiracy theories. I'm also really scared too, because like, I feel like on a lot of areas in the podcast, we have like deeply invested in the research. And I know like 2% about Taylor Swift compared to most <laughs> yeah. people, except for her training. Okay. Well, here is the quote um, from the Time Ag- article that where she was named the person of the year. And also Time only gives person of the year to usually like political figures, like world-changing figures. This isn't People Magazine person of the year, which I think shows her economic impact. And- well, she is a political figure. Yeah, it's true. Actually, she, said- she got like a lot of people to vote. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it says, in the past, Swift jokes, she toured, quote, like a frat guy. This time, she began training six months ahead of the first show. Quote, every day I would run on the treadmill singing the entire set list out loud, she said. Fast for fast songs and a jog or a fast walk for slow songs. She's basically doing an ultra a day. Yeah. It's pretty wild. So her set list is like three hours or whatever. Yeah. And um, 
that's a lot of time on the treadmill. That's a lot of running. Actually, it's great training intensity distribution too. When you break it down and you think about like the distribution of her like slow songs and fast songs. Yeah. But also I'm impressed. Can you imagine like the vocal stamina to sing and run at the same time? Well, it's incredible. It points out probably why she needs to train like this and also why. I wanted to use this just in case any bots are scraping this for Taylor Swift content. (laughs) Does she dope? Uh, or should we accuse for sure not should we no no should we accuse her of performance enhancing drugs on this podcast make it because then we'll go viral and then i don't know what's going to happen after that but grayson will sell a lot of training journals maybe the only thing we should accuse her of is glitter <laughs> she is like the emblematic figure of i mean she's she's so cool and yeah. she actually takes a rest day too so she's like very very diligent about her rest day in a way that i feel like aligns with our swap philosophy yeah. so there was a quote there as well and it said in between tour legs she spends 24 hours resting and, inter- and recharging Quote, I do not leave my bed except to get food and take it back to my bed and eat it there. Very cool. I know. This is the training plan you should be on as you recover from the yeah, towel yeah, yeah. 50. <laughs> well, maybe there are a lot of lessons there in the sense that like the importance of that type of rest is oh, yes. so key. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that we suggest every athlete takes a full rest day every week um, is because if you don't do that, there are background stressors that you're not aware of that add up. So Taylor Swift has t- says take your rest day, so maybe we all should. She also doesn't drink alcohol either when oh, she's on tour. Really? And I feel yeah. like there's a there's like this new counterculture, I feel like, coming up to alcohol where a lot of people are pushing back against it and they're like, eh, we're not going to drink. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like counterculture is a weird word choice there. That is a weird word choice. That's like 1960s, like against the grain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People are being like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to drink alcohol. And you know what? I'm not going to smoke. And you know what? Sex isn't for me. It's like, that's the counterculture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so lots of fun things. All right, let's get into the omega-3 study. This one is wild and kind of blew us away. It's in the Journal of Human Kinetics and it's titled, The Effects of Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplementation on the Lipid Profile and Cardiovascular Markers Following Downhill Running in Long Distance Runners. Okay, and this study was pretty wild and it was kind of the turning point for me where I was like, okay, fish candy. And then I was like, shoot, I gotta get me some of this fish candy. This is good, good stuff. We went to Whole Foods Yes, definitely stocked up last we night. stocked up actually there was like it was a little overwhelming because oh, so overwhelming. there was so many omega-3s they were all in different formulations all mixed with different things yeah. all different prices some were organic some were not and we're like what do we do yeah and we just kind of ended up choosing a random one yeah like, pin the tail on the donkey yeah we're like what's the cheapest and what has like the least other stuff in it but i think it's important actually as we talk about this study to just do like a very short dive into like what are omega-3s and why are they important for athletes so yeah Omega-3s contain a lot of different things, but the two most important things that we're going to talk about for the purposes of this discussion are the long-chain fatty acids, EPA and DHA. And these omega-3s get incorporated into cell membranes Mm -hmm. throughout the body, and then they play a number of different roles. So they're like great for cell function, they resolve inflammation, they're good for cardiovascular function, and there's also some studies looking at them in terms of like cognitive function in adults and then also in children and and infants too. Yes, this is what I was asking you last night. So it's essentially a cell membrane incorporation process Mm -hmm. in various parts of the body, probably in differential ways. I assume it's not uniform. And then that can influence downstream impacts that might be you know, widely varied depending on what you're looking at. And many different like physiological mechanisms. And it's been studied for a long, long time. And I think it's been especially used in like the cardiovascular health space. And that's where I've seen it the most. And I don't know what it was about omega-3s that made me write them off and yeah. be like, eh, it's, this is like something that but we're same, seeing. same. Yeah. What is it? I don't know why. I don't know. I, I think maybe because it just seems like 
it's too simple almost. And almost, I think to me, it seemed more like we're talking about like longevity and health benefits. And I'm like, tell me about performance. <laughs> I want to know about performance. Same, same. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, when you dive into the fact that so many athletes are low in omega threes, yeah. that's what got me turned on. So the interesting thing is that so many athletes are low in omega threes. And the theory is, okay, like maybe athletes are more prone to low fat diets, but this is what got me. And this is the turning point yeah. is that often intense and prolonged training may actually cause this like increased oxidative and metabolic stress. Interesting. And that in turn may use up some of the omega-3 levels. And so I was like, hmm, the pot is simmering in terms of how I think about omega-3s. I like at the start, you said, this is what turned me on. Oh, it did to- turn me on. It did. Science turns me on. <laughs> it did. So are athletes lower than the general population? Is that kind of the overall arching idea? That's the theory. And you see it across studies. So there was actually this study um, in German elite endurance athletes. And this was a study done in 2014. And they studied a hundred 106 um, of these endurance athletes, and they found that only one athlete had an omega-3 level, and then they call it the omega-3 index. Uh-huh. That was within range. Wow. And it's like one of 106, and these were just like randomly chosen. It's not like they yeah. were choosing them based on omega-3 levels. I was like, ooh, that is something to think about. And it must be you're seeing causation there with athletics in some way at that yes, level exactly. causes low omega-3s because you imagine the nutritional approaches there are widely varied enough that yes. you're going to be catching people that are doing different approaches. Yes. I mean, and honestly, you can think of areas where like low energy availability might impact Definitely, omega-3 yeah. intake and how you absorb it. But I mean, in this case, like 106 elite endurance athletes, you're like, okay, there is a broader mechanism here in terms of how they're training yeah. that we need to think about. Yeah. So that to me is really interesting. And what got us going on this subject today is a study that was done just recently on 24 male distance runners. And it is such a simple design that comes out with such striking results that it's one of those that kind of just punches you in the face and you're like, oh shit, this could be a lot bigger deal than we've given it credit for in the past. And clearly other people were punched in the face too, because we actually got sent this by multiple podcast listeners. And so I think it's the type of study that you look at this and it's like, even within the abstract, you're like, oh, there is something here. Yeah, definitely. So the study, the design was 24 male distance runners, 12 were in the placebo group, and then 12 took 3,000 milligrams of omega-3s for three weeks, which essentially consisted of three of these pills in the AM and three of these pills in the PM. And I was curious about this timeline because the prior 2014 study that I was talking about said omega-3 levels in terms of like looking at optimized values, it often takes six to eight weeks and Mm. sometimes even 12 weeks of supplementation to see changes in like making athletes sufficient in omega-3 index levels. And so I was like, oh, well, three weeks is also really short short too compared to like the timeline that we think of supplementation. This pretty high amounts of dosage. So, you know, the doses that we got on our, on our super omega threes that were very cheap, well, relative Actually, to they else. were not that cheap. Relative to everything else at Whole Foods, though. That's true. Yeah. 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 We, we have the Whole Foods index, and it's like, well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every time we check out, I'm like, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm just like, I want Megan to be healthy. So sometimes it's good to get this food, but don't tell me what it is. Actually, we do like a prices right when we're checking oh, yeah. out. We're like, you pay for groceries, and it's yeah. amazing, and I really appreciate it. And then as we're leaving the store, I'm like, I try to guess. Yeah. And I was actually. Often you try to guess high, I think. I know, to, to make, make you feel, feel a little better. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, $698. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, Megan, I just bought a thing of bananas. And it's like, the cash register comes out. And it's like, those bananas only cost $598. Yeah. 
Uh, so you saved a little money. Um, so here's the testing. They did an initial fitness test just to get their levels. Um, then they did a downhill running test before supplementation, which consisted of 30 minutes at negative 16% grade and 70% of VO2 max heart rate. At that grade, it's actually kind of hard to get your heart rate up. So this is probably athletes pushing pretty, pretty well. And then after the supplementation, after the three weeks, they did another downhill running test. Uh, very cool to think about setting up a treadmill on negative 16%. Uh, you probably had to do some wild things with cinder blocks, I imagine, to get it propped up because they don't make treadmills like that. That's a great point. It was also probably a little dangerous, too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you could just like run into the front of the machine. Yeah. And I actually wonder, is it possible for us to set up treadmills like that for athletes that might train at sea level and need to get some downhill stimulus before races? Oh, for sure. I've been inside exercise physiology labs yeah. and you should see sometimes the wild things they do to treadmills. I'm like, can we sell this in the market? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, because, you know, the, the treadmills, like, so we have a Nordic Track X22i or something? 32i. Like? 32i. Yes. Oh, yeah. That just means it has a bigger screen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> which we don't use. It's no. Like, definitely should have gotten a lower, cheaper model. Actually, it becomes a mirror. I can kind of look at myself in oh, there. Yeah. Well, it's covered in my sweat. So. It is. Yeah. It's just a bunch of <laughs> you and a bunch of dots. In fact, I sweat so much on there that the screen stops working. In fact, wouldn't recommend this treadmill based on <laughs> what we're saying here. But it does go negative. Have you ever used that? I haven't. No. So I have. Um, and when you go to negative three, it caps it at six miles an hour. Mm. And then when you go to negative six, it caps it at five miles an hour. As so a the, safety mechanism. Yeah. yeah. So these athletes are going much faster. My guess is that they prop up the treadmill, but I do wonder if there's a way to do this safely. We don't recommend you trying this because I imagine you might die. But if you do, let us know. Yeah, if you have. Yes. Very interesting. Yeah. And could answer some of the questions that you often get about how do you train for mountain races when you're at sea level? Um, or if you just, it's the winter, let's say, and you're racing somewhere that's steep and you can't do that given snow on the ground. Um, so here's what they were measuring. Um, the erythrocyte content of fatty acids. Erythrocyte uh, are red blood cells. Yes. yes. Um, an echocardiogram. They did cardiac damage markers, including CKMB and troponin, and then inflammatory cytokines, and then a full lipid profile. And this is, so essentially they're like really looking at cardiovascular measures. One thing they didn't comment on a lot is CKMB yeah. actually includes CK as well. So like CKMB is a specific isoform or an isoenzyme of CK, which- So like heart damage heart rather damage. than muscle damage. Yes, but it also includes some CK or like muscle damage within it. And yeah. so they didn't really comment on it that much, but sometimes I've seen like high CKMB values in athletes who have done ultras yeah. because their CK is really high. Their skeletal muscle damage is high. And so it's feeding into that CKMB level. Which is one reason I'm sure they did the downhill um, tests. Exactly. Yes. They're trying to induce that damage so that they can see what are the effects on the body. And we've actually gotten way too intimate with some of these markers given Megan's heart journey. Mm -hmm. So this study for us was like flashing red light, fascinating stuff. So um, but the same types of things that were fascinating us should fascinate every endurance athlete. Oh, yes, because yeah. cardiac function, cardiovascular health is what drives endurance performance, even if we don't think about it that much. But even if it's CK, so you can look at the the proportion of CK to CKMB, which they actually didn't do. And that can tell you like what percentage is explained by skeletal muscle and what percentage is explained by cardiac muscle. But they didn't do that. But yeah. even if the driver is skeletal muscle, that's still relevant. So relevant. We still want less breakdown of skeletal muscle. And so it might be hard to say whether this is skeletal muscle or cardiac function, but honestly, both are important. Yeah. And yeah. so quick uh, highlight of the results. There was no difference in the blood flow and echocardiogram. Um, so it wasn't necessarily directly impacting blood flow. The omega-3 content was higher in the intervention group. No shit. Um, th but interestingly, there were lower troponin and CKMB um, levels in the omega-3 group. So the things that measure potential like heart implications here. Um, it wasn't always significant, but it was relatively substantial if you look at it. And lower cytokine levels. So essentially, 
less inflammation in the group that was taking the higher dose omega-3s. Only within three weeks. And when we know if it takes like, okay, if it takes like six to eight weeks or 12 weeks to maybe be fully optimized, it's like, okay, what happens if you extend that out? Um, And so I have a lot of questions, but I think it was strong enough science. And we very rarely do this. Like the science has to be convincing evidence for us to go to Whole Foods and be like, let's get some of those fish candy. Yeah. And it's one of those things that it probably doesn't hurt. I can't think of anything negative that would come of it. Well, I mean, honestly, like all of the like longevity researchers are like, take omega-3s. Like there's really no very, very limited side effects. So, you know, in some ways, like I think things that we say, most of what we do on the podcast, it's entertainment, right? Like we're trying to give you like joy on your day. And this also goes along with that because that's what we do. But at the same time, pay attention here. Like omega-3 supplementation is pretty easy. There are less expensive ways to do it. um, And it could have really good impacts on your heart, probably won't cause any damages. So um, I think- we're going to be doing it for an extended period of time, especially with your heart um, and especially as we age. Yeah. And I think it's not just the heart, it's inflammation. Um, it's cognition. It has so many other downstream effects too. It's like, yeah, let's throw some fish candy on board. Fish candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so perfect. <laughs> I know every time I take the omega-3s, I'm going to be like, mm, fish, fish, fish. <laughs> I actually think it might even be more relevant for vegetarian and vegan athletes too. Yeah. So I've seen some studies saying that potentially they have lower levels of omega-3s. Um, and you can get it from algae sources as well, yes. not just fish. Yep. Algae candy. Let's yep. say. <laughs> yeah. What sounds more attractive? to you algae candy or fish candy algae candy for sure because mm, yeah. i can imagine that being tasty fish I, i'm just down on fish maybe my i bet my omega-3 level is through the floor <laughs> it's just the idea of fish right now is just like oh fish i don't know why something ha- i got a bad experience a few like a like six months ago and it's just not not my thing anymore yeah the other day you're like you know i've just decided i don't like salmon anymore you're yeah. like i like what goes on top of salmon i like what's flavored with salmon but we're all just hiding the taste of salmon yeah I mean, I'm sure some people like going to hate that. So I, like, yeah. Okay, but your taste is not I used for to work with Own that, own it. I, no, no. <laughs> but I used to work with Alaska Native tribes. Um, yeah. And if they heard what you just said, some of these tribes I worked with, Megan, all, about of, the fish. Work, all the work about salmon in particular, mm. um, all of the work I'd done for many, many years would be reversed. So hopefully we're not big in Alaska. <laughs> well, I'm saying how you feel about salmon. I actually love salmon. Okay. But, I know. I try to get us to have salmon like once a week. Yeah. And I'm vetoing that. But I am not <laughs> vetoing the fish candy. Um, in addition to this, you know the other thing you should be taking? What? Athletic greens. Oh, for sure. So this gets back to, we try to keep things simple and athletic greens is what let us lets us do that. We don't want to take many supplements. We're just one things that we know make a difference. And every single week we get messages from people that say Athletic Greens has changed their life in some way. So drink ag1.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. There you get bonuses, uh, travel packs, you get vitamin D, which is the other uh, supplement everyone should be taking. I think that those three plus iron essentially cover the gamut now. So we're adding omega-3 to our regime, but it's Athletic Greens, vitamin D, iron. Basically, you know, a lot of athletes need to know their levels be good at that. Athletic Greens is magic. And I genuinely look forward to drinking it in the morning. And I had this kind of science experiment moment the other day where I left my Athletic Greens. There was like a little bit left. Sometimes I have a hard time with that last part that gets really potent. Yeah. I left it upstairs in our bathroom. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And we came into the bathroom. No, no. So you didn't tell me what what it was. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't find. And I assumed. I was like, okay, there's a smell in our bathroom right now. (laughs) It has to be negative, right? Because any smell, I get blamed for it by everybody. I know you. It is you. You are the smell. Okay. You're like, you have like more normal smells. 
If it's my like, smells are all close, so you have to be close to me. <laughs> yeah. I was around no other humans, and I knew it wasn't me. And the only smells that travel are your smells. In the house. Yeah. They travel far. Yeah. <laughs> They're like breaking the space-time continuum. Yeah. Quantum mechanics yeah. of your smells. We could write a book about that. But yeah, it was. I had left Athletic Greens out for like three or four days, and it had become its own ecosystem. It smelled exactly like asparagus pee. Yeah, interesting. Um, and, and also, which actually gave me faith. I'm like, yeah. there's greens in here. Yeah, it's, yeah. Cr- it's growing life. It, it's. Um, I think it's. There's a specific thing that causes. Like asathaxin or something like that, huh. that that includes that I think also causes asparagus pee. But interesting topic. Um, <laughs> but I take it right when I wake up in the morning. Um, ever since I've d- done that, my stomach has actually gotten better, um, and all of the things I've talked about gotten much better. So uh, drinkag1.com/swap swap um, Speaking of stomachs, this next next study we're not going to talk about long but is one of the weirder things I've ever seen, and I truly love it. Okay, I'm not going to lie. The effect size on this study blew me away. Yeah. This is another point where like, I feel like I'm checking my biases again. So, well, First, I want to say, the last one, it turned you on. Yes. This one blew you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm having a good day over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the study was in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. It was called Compression Socks Reduce Running-Induced Intestinal Damage. And I saw this, and I was like, okay, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, really? Okay, but then I saw the results, and I was like, what's happening? So what they did and um, is they had 23 athletes wearing compression socks in a marathon, and 23 who did not. And they measured intestinal fatty acid binding protein as a marker for, and a proxy for intestinal damage. Yeah. And the effect size were staggering. Do you want to say them? Because I feel like this is like the mic drop and you're really good at mic drops. I really do. So the levels of intestinal fatty acid binding protein were 107% greater after the marathon than before in the control group that did nothing. Um, but only 38% greater in the people that were wearing compression socks. So this whole time, maybe there, it's associated with something like that. And so here's a quote from the study about the theory. Exercise is associated with a reduction in splan... Oh. Splanknik. Splanknik? I think. Every time I pronounce words, I like panic. I've, but- never, I've literally never seen that word in my entire life. It's S-P-L-A-N-C-H-N-I-C. I think they're just punking us. I think that's made up. Intestinal, I think it stands for. Um, blood flow that leads to the disruption of intestinal epithelium integrity, contributing to exercise-induced gastrointestinal syndrome. So, truly fascinating. And some real-world experience is that... I never noticed the association, but I found that if I wear compression socks during my speed workouts, I recover better. And why is that? In looking back at my training logs, the days I've worn compression socks, I do have fewer stomach issues after very high intensity. So it might not be something for like, you know, long distance stuff like ultras, perhaps if you don't have stomach issues, but if you get it after really high intensity stuff, like I've described on the podcast Maybe compression socks can help. And it's interesting to think about how it helps with the return blood flow mm-hmm. and how that might keep more blood coming to your intestinal tract. Well, either way, I want to see more science on this because I feel like this yes, is like yeah, this effect size. Positive. This effect size is so large. The participants are like relatively small that like let's see more science coming out about this, but it does have me excited. Yeah. That being said, I felt like when I learned about like how you were thinking about this, I kind of got a groan and not a moan. Oh no. Because you like never wear the same color compression uh-huh. socks. They're always like different Heights, uh-huh. they usually smell bad. What do they have on them? Oh, like dirt. I don't even know. No, I no, no. Don't do even. This, what are the designs? 
Oh, I what don't, colors? Various. You think you have like green ones and weird ones. Those are avocados. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot going on on your compression socks, and they usually smell a little funky. And there's like dirt and yeah. other things that I don't want to know about in them. And I was like, Oh no! Is he going to be wearing these like yeah. all the time now? Well, I had a medical themed one that I've had to retire because on it, like, it had a bunch of little icons on it in various places. So it would have a heart, and it was like anatomical heart. But then at one place, it had an anatomical syringe. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can put that on and go yeah. run a race. <laughs> brings up some Lance Armstrong vibes right there. Not appropriate. Actually, I similarly had to t- retire a pair of uh, medical socks. Someone at one point, like when I was like in medical school rotations, got me a pair of medical socks. Yeah. Also had a syringe on them. Oh my and God. I was like, these need to go. <laughs> Syringes should not be. Granted, like, I have thought of a, you know, a shirt. I actually think I mentioned this on the podcast yeah. before. You know, we talk about food doping on here, mm-hmm. which is a plate of pancakes with butter on top. And then a syringe with uh, uh, maple syrup coming <laughs> yeah. out, with it clearly defining its maple syrup. Yeah. And you vetoed that idea. I vetoed it. I was like, not good. And then say food doping. I yeah. think that would be the best shirt ever. Uh, I don't, it really scares me. But anyways, yeah. when I had these socks, sometimes like my pant leg would lift just enough. So it was just the syringe. I'd be like, oh no, <laughs> this is not good. Not good. But uh, if, so if you have stomach issues, um, especially after high intensity exercise, consider compression socks. If you try it and it helps at all, let us know. One of those things we're looking into as coaches um, and don't really have an answer on, but thought it was very cool uh, physiology. Just be careful with it at like changing altitudes in long ultras where you're getting wet. Sometimes we actually have seen like more instances of trench foot and like weird foot things associated with like compression socks too. And so like, I think there's this delicate balance of like foot health and GI health. And you kind of have to figure out where you fall on that spectrum. How cool is it that we do a sport where you're worried about trench foot? <laughs> right? Isn't that epic? Basketball players not worried about trench foot. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's like sometimes in our sport you can get like, I don't know, what bubonic plague <laughs> yeah. or something. It's like, I'll oh, sign me up. I'll do that. Okay, on to news and fun things. Uh, first one, Megan, did you hear? That Strava messages are out and Strava messages are live. Yeah, and I'm kind of excited about it, actually. Have you used it yet? Okay, no. But okay. I had this moment, so I was like thinking about Strava messages, and I went to go find it, and no one had sent me a message yet. Yeah. And I was kind of sad. It was almost like, you know, when you've like been away from your phone for like four or six hours, yeah. and you're so excited to come back to like the 65 text messages you think you have, <laughs> and no one's messaged you? That's kind of how I felt. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of like... Middle school, when you'd be like, hopefully, hopefully the light's blinking and someone cares about me. Like, yeah, it never happened. Nope, no I know. Problem. We probably had the same lights. Yeah. We... Granted, I didn't really want people to call that much. Because... That's actually a good point. It's like a, a mix of like yeah. excitement and anxiety at the same time. Yeah, it's more like I want someone, the, the general thought that they care is good, but the actual act of caring together, yeah. not so good. You just want voicemails. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my God, or not, texts. Yeah. Maybe back then, not anymore. Um, so I haven't used it either, but thought this was interesting. Uh, we predicted this on the um, podcast like a month or two ago that this was coming. But I read a really interesting take is that every social media app expands until it includes messaging. I it, think it makes sense. It's totally logical. Yeah. I don't know, though. I think it also shows the mission creep of these apps. Like yeah. that it doesn't matter what you start as. You can start as like, you know, a social media app based on like, I don't know, music playing mm-hmm. or your neighborhood or whatever. And it's always going to expand to encompass that. And then with the tweet was saying is that this also signifies the death throes of that app because it's trying to expand mm. into places that it can't. Yes. And why is it doing that? So like the, in other words, the underlying cause might be a sign that there's a problem. Oh, that's fascinating. Why well, root so hard for Strava? It's Same. like my all time favorite app. And so that scares me a little bit, but I do, I have general, I feel like they've 
the way that their like growth trajectory has worked has been really smart. So I'm curious, but I don't think it's, I mean, I'm curious to know also too, I would love to see the graph of how messages are being used. Interesting. Yeah. Have you, have you gotten any messages? I don't think so. I I mean, I feel like we both have like a decent number of Strava followers. So the fact that we haven't gotten messages makes me wonder how much it's being used. So what I'd love to do is that the podcast can become Strava message story hour. So if you do end up having any experience with this, that's interesting or a relationship forms or anything like that. Oh, let us know. We want to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. Um, So we'll see. I'm actually optimistic about it. The more I think about it, I think that having a place where athletes can engage would be really cool. And that where Strava's, uh, this isn't where they should stop expanding. They should keep going, keep (laughs) going and keep going until Strava merges with Grindr. So buys Grinder, yeah, location based app that you can turn on or turn off, much, much like messages, where you can do a group run with someone mm-hmm. um, that's in your area, or whatever else you choose. Okay, well, this like collaboration with Grinder is feeding into my like hypothesis that maybe the reason we don't have any direct messages waiting for us is yeah. one, we're in a very clear partnership, uh-huh. and two, we post a lot of pictures of a baby, oh. both of which I feel like exponentially dropped your DMs. I don't know though. Some people are into babies, <laughs> yeah, or women or moms, moms, Megan. See, we didn't talk about this enough. At some point, you know, about 13 months ago, you went from being a sexy single to a MILF. <laughs> I mean, you're um, going to get more messages now, right? <laughs> John G. Schwartz are probably helping too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, this study is fascinating. Next f- news and fun thing point. This study is in nature. Nature. Okay. Why don't we, yeah, I'm like speechless about this study. I'm baffled. I'm baffled. Why don't you tee it up and we'll get to why we're baffled. So it came out uh, the other week. It's called Narcissistic Coaches and Athletes' Individual Rowing Performance. My theory about why it's in nature, which is a premier journal, obviously, is that it's um, provocative. Yeah. It's the type of thing that's clickbaity. Yeah, but I mean, nature is never, I have never associated nature with being clickbaity. Science is, though. Science, but yeah, I mean, it has to be clickbaity with extremely robust and rigorous science yes, and hypotheses. Yes, yes. And this is a robust. It has, it's robust, though. My point being, what gets accepted and what doesn't in the old days might have been based on different factors. That's actually a good point, is how that's evolved in science over time. Clicks matter for nature, too. Yes. It's yeah. something to always remember about everything you consume, is that it is relevant even if we don't want it to be. A good example actually is um, I heard on one of my favorite podcasts, Pivot, which is a business podcast, that Goldman Sachs and Apple parted ways on their financial offering that they Mm. were giving people, essentially a credit card type thing. Um, And the headlines that were written were all essentially like Apple kicks Goldman Sachs to the curb and things like that. Whereas if you fed the article into um, ChatGPT, it summarized it much more as like a mutual parting ways. But then if you ask ChatGPT, instead of writing a neutral headline Mm -hmm. to write a clickbaity headline, it returned the same headlines that actually came out in practice. Oh, fascinating. So, and and we're not talking about BuzzFeed. We're talking about the premier, you know, um, places to consume news like New York Times and Washington Post. And I think it points out that clickbait determines how almost everything reaches us because otherwise it doesn't reach us. But it's also horrifying in the context of science because I have done science before. Like I've published an article and then it appears somewhere else where it's like summarizing the article and gives a title. I'm like, that's not at all what we found. And the number of times there's that like disconnect between the hypothesis of the article and like the summary statement and what's coming out in the title. It's like, oh my Lord. But my conclusion is that every time I read an article, uh, I always struggle with titles. It's my least favorite part of writing articles. Yeah. And what I usually come up with something that's like borderline, but like mostly direct. 
but that doesn't get clicks. I'm going to put it into ChatGPT and ask it for 15 clickbaity titles, not because I'm going to use them, yeah. but because I think it will be instructive at getting the information to the most number of people. In okay, but words, that scares me. Just run it by me for, before you do that. Oh, of course. I run yes, everything yeah, by you. Yeah. But if you can't beat them, you join them. <laughs> um, but not joining this no, study finding. Yes. And also, I think like I think we make content funny and engaging. We never make it clickbaity. Uh, we do though, because my, my point, point that's is, true. I guess it's like, what the, what's the line? I everything think is accurate clickbaity. and clickbaity. I mean, it has like, to be accurate. What though. are we going to say at the t- front of the podcast this week? Omega three supplementation. No, we're going to say Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> um, okay. So this study looked at 266 national class rowers over in the UK. It evaluated their coaches based on a 16 question test that was given to the athletes where the coach, the athletes evaluated their coaches. Um, and the fascinating thing here that is different than we would assume is that the coach's narcissism positively predicted in performance. Here's a quote. Narcissistic coaches seem to reinforce athletes' perceptions that competition provides them with an opportunity to show off their skills, which in turn accounts for athletes' better performance in comparison to athletes who do not train with narcissistic coaches. Okay. And this quote killed me internally. Yeah. Like, oh, well, also, I disagree. Also, no, I strongly disagree. And I disagree with the way they framed this entire study. Yes, exactly. And I think let's go into that because I think, um, there was lots of like, I had lots and lots of feelings and I'm almost speechless, like talking about this because I have so many yeah. feelings and because I think this is incorrect. Yeah. So I think, okay, one to start, I feel like narcissistic coaches present training in a way that is like, and present even like performance and competition in a way that has a ton of certainty. They're like, you're going to win. This is, and I think there's almost like a, I don't know, I would call it this like life force that sometimes extends Um, around narcissists that you just like at first is so enticing and so engaging. Almost like a reality distortion. Yes, exactly. And it's like, I can see how that's performance enhancing at first, but then I think as soon as there's like struggle or long-term, you got to like stack bricks in the roll long-term in terms of training. I think that breaks down and fucks up athletes. And it's really interesting to think about it in the context of relationships more generally. Yes. So coaching is a type of relationship. And And I think narcissists are very like charismatic, charismatic people. And they got that riz. I see. Oh, they got so much riz. (laughs) So much riz. You meet them and you're like, that is a confident motherfucker. And that's, you know, confidence. It's intoxicating. It's intoxicating is great until you go through withdrawal. Yeah. And that happens. And I think this study wasn't long enough. So the like mean amount of time that athletes were with these coaches was a year. And it's like, that is not enough time to get fully messed up. I mean, actually it probably is enough time, but I don't think it's fully enough time to really see the long-term impacts of narcissism. Especially if you're measuring only people that are competing and not people who've been burned out or injured or any number of things. Exactly. Yeah. The narcissistic coach, um, based on the rationales that they provide, you can also see the downside. So um, narcissists themselves are notorious for performing very well under pressure. Uh, Makes sense because they're so confident in everything about themselves that that uh, worldview can't be punctured. Wouldn't that be great? Like elements of that, like you don't want to be a narcissist, obviously, but like- Narcissism could be a pill. Yeah, I mean, like the amount of- anxiety I experienced like going into like high pressure environments and I've gotten better I've worked at it I've like come to the point where I love pressure but it would be so nice just to not not to have that yeah just like a topical ointment of narcissism yes (laughs) yeah yeah. just put it on my legs before races oh my gosh it probably work really well yeah Yeah. but um the way it applies to athletes is through vicarious Mm self-enhancement so the narcissist is actually even if they propose it as you are going to do this you are going to achieve this they are secretly thinking this is my benefit this is my enhancement in the world and so you can 
can see the incentive structure there. The narcissistic coach is incentivized to crush their athlete mm-hmm. because they don't care about the athlete. That athlete to them is yet another egg that can be thrown against the wall. And if it breaks, so be it. Um, the goal is just if you have that one unbreakable egg, the narcissist's ego gets uplifted. Um, so this study, I think, is fascinating, important, and also problematic because I think the wrong lessons can be drawn from it. In fact, what we might be seeing in these rowers is not that narcissistic uh, coaches cause athletes success. It's that narcissistic coaches will break athletes to become their best very quickly. Well, also I had that question too, in relation to doping, I imagine the like, Oh, yeah. The risk of doping if you are under a narcissistic coach is like 45 times higher. And in a sport like rowing at the elite level, it's like, are we seeing an interaction between Definitely. this and doping that's not actually being measured in the study? And so yeah. I have a lot of questions. But also, do you want to propose, this points out one way we could be wrong in some ways, right? Like we we totally say that like narcissism is bad and like you don't want that in a coach. And we all know coaches within endurance sports that have these attributes. Um, so... You know, even as we bring you studies and push back against them or, or agree with them or whatever, know that we'll still try to bring you the ones that we disagree with. Yeah, I love that. Okay, final question. Uh-huh. Do you think this study and these like initial study findings, again, I don't think these study findings are going to be held out over the long term or over more robust studies. I just don't agree with it. Do you think it would be like fundamentally different in team sports? Because mm. I feel like endurance sports are so individualized mm. that a narcissist in a team sport environment, I feel like it would be much harder to rally that type of inspiration when you have a whole team of people that could like... Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think it would probably be just as effective in team sports and maybe more effective. Because the thing about team sports is, especially professional ones, is that it's next man up, next man up, next man up. That's true. You have a whole bunch of eggs to throw at the wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And individual sports, you know, I think it'd be a little more complicated if you weren't just measuring at a competition, if you were Mm -hmm. measuring across an athlete's career. Yes. I think at that point, it's it's indisputable. And we all know those stories. It's like, you know, a narcissist coach can have so much success and then churn through athletes. But look at what happens over six or seven years. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think every coach should be evaluated on that type of time frame, never too short term because of that, because the incentive structure is pretty bad. And you know what, Megan, I think I'm right on that. And you know why? <laughs> because I'm the best and I'm the smartest that's ever existed. Um, and, and you have the most sexy reality distortion field of all time. I really want to be a narcissist. Like, you should be because you are the best. Why don't why are you a narcissist? You're literally the best. You do not want to be a narcissist. Yes. I do, but no, you should be. No, I should not be either you should yeah it would scare me (laughs) but anyone out there that's dealt with a narcissist we're sending you our love oh it's so hard i've heard in relationships especially that can be really difficult yeah i've heard in intimate relationships it is one of the hardest things that leaves like some big long lasting scars that are hard to recover from and so sending love yes um okay next up is a really fun story here have you heard this megan that george santos the disgraced former representative who got expelled uh, from the U.S. House of Representatives mm-hmm. yes. is now on Cameo, which is I a have place not heard that. where you make videos for a fee. His fee started at like $150 and then immediately went up to $400. And on Cameo, after being expelled, he made hundreds of thousands of dollars. In other words, more than his annual salary as a representative in two days. Is this true? That's my entire question with George Santos. Oh, is, yeah, is this yeah, yeah. actually true? I mean, he could just be saying this. But, I mean, it is interesting though, right? That um, I just feel like it's a, the reason I wanted to talk about it is that it points out how celebrity is the new currency in basically all of society and how scary it is and how disheartening it is. It's so scary. Can you also imagine the things he would come up with on Cameo? That'd be like... Well, they're all... They're, I saw a lot of them, actually. Oh. They're mailing it in. It's just essentially just saying <laughs> yeah. like whatever you want them to say. That's the thing about Cameo. Yeah. They say whatever you want them to say and then yeah. they just put their own little spin on it. Uh, that could also be dangerous, too. Can you yeah. imagine just like getting someone to say what you want them to say and then using it for something? Eh, but I, it's just... Inter- to me, this is fascinating. And it, what it points out is 
Should we start a swap cameo? That'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I want to say what other people want us to say. I, let's say what we want to say and can send it to people. That's the podcast, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but they can have like a, we can be in video. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, if you if you message us ever, especially on Patreon, uh, we'll make you a video for free. <laughs> I don't know if that would be helpful. But actually, speaking of Patreon, you guys should all subscribe. Um, on there, we're doing bonus posts every week. We do We have 79 bonus podcasts. Patreon.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. Uh, it's what you know makes this podcast possible, and um, we're going to continue it long term. And I'm not sure if I'm going to tease this because we literally just had this discussion yesterday in the car, but our recording of our holiday episode falls on December 25th. Yeah. That's the Monday when we would typically record. And so we're thinking of doing a special episode, one that contains a secret dump, yeah. uh, fun and exciting stories from the year, and hot takes, and recording that before Christmas and releasing it that holiday week. Yeah, yeah. And so we might be collecting. Should we, should we say this for real? I think so, for sure. Yeah. So, so on Patreon, we'll be collecting. Yes your deepest darkest secrets that which we'll we will share make anonymously. well yeah we're really good at making we're almost too good at making things anonymous to the point where it's like we don't need to hide the fact that you're yeah. an accountant <laughs> yeah and then we'll also be collecting just uplifting stories that you have um and then finally some spicy hot takes and these are all motivated or at least the um the secrets are motivated by natasha Legero's podcast which oh, is yes, called yeah. endless honeymoon where they do secrets and i love it so much um and they're mostly athletic themed but if you don't want us to do athletic themed ones we'll also do those oh we'll take all kinds of secrets yeah Yes. And then the spicier, the better. Happy stories are the high note that is done at the end of Love It or Leave It podcast, which is my favorite political podcast. Mm-hmm. We're combining all our podcasts. And we're going to comment them all. So. And then hot takes is swap. Yes. We got to throw a swap in there. We do <laughs> that every time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, what do you want to talk? How about some taper design? What do you think? Here? Let's talk about taper design. Let's do the carb study and then go to hot takes. Perfect. Um, the reason I put this in the outline is because I wanted you to talk about it because your athletes have done so much epic shit recently and they just seem like they're rocking it out of the park every single week, at every single distance. And so I want to learn from you, hear a little bit about how you're thinking about tapers right now. Oh, thank you. Well, that means a lot. Actually, this is, I think what you're referring to is Jade Bellsberg set the Joshua Tree FKT this yeah. week, which was really cool. And so we should actually, we'll add on a thing about FKTs okay, as well, okay. because we've never really talked about FKTs on this podcast. And Zach yeah. Miller went for one too. And so it's it's kind of a fun time of year to talk about Yeah, FKTs. so Jade is incredible. Everyone go follow Jade. Um, She's got a sub stack. She's a great writer. And an amazing FKT. But that's just one of several situations where you've had athletes and it's like every single time they show up, they show up ready to rock. And I always tie that to taper because like in the taper, you're obviously not going to make your training, but you can break it to a certain extent. So how are you thinking about tapers right now overall? Just like give us a little sketch. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot more. So I think it's really based on an individual's like underlying physiology, like muscle fiber typology. And honestly, this is like hard to describe and maybe a little bit embarrassing, but just Uh this like gut sense intuition. Ah. And also like- Should we do a nature study on gut sense and intuition? (laughs) I know. How do you want people to apply that? I know, such this like murky. I love like concrete science, and this is so murky. We could do like a you know poop. What is it? A poop transfer or whatever (laughs) to get your gut into other people's gut? Maybe that'll help. A fecal transfer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that might be interesting. Um, but no, I've been doing a much more aerobic focus into races, especially the week of. So classically, I think like for an ultra, I would typically give like some sort of light tempo that week. Um, for a marathon, tempo and strides. And now for ultras, I'm doing like pure aerobic into races and often giving two rest days, um, heading into a race on race week and having the final long run be like, you know, that, that weekend before. And then the last workout be 10 days out. Yeah. I think the way you did my taper for McDowell 50 is really instructive to people. So I rested on Monday Mm -hmm. and then on Tuesday, since it was an ultra, as Megan described, it was aerobic and 
I had eight to 10 miles. And on Wednesday, I did eight miles. On Thursday, I rested. And then on Friday before the race, I did six miles. All easy, which for me is like pretty low loading. Um, and the type of thing and in the past, I'd be like, I should probably be doing some sort of workout race week. And I didn't just run purely slow. Like I still ran like into mm-hmm. Z2 at times. I wasn't yes, just yeah. pure Z1. And your Z2 is pretty efficient. And five zone miles. Yes, yeah. Um, but it worked so well and I felt so sharp. Um, and, and then to build off that, so for marathons, you're doing some sort of like tempo type thing usually on that Tuesday. I'm usually doing, and I'm still keeping that in. So I'm doing yeah. like a 10 minute, 15 minute tempo at hour effort. Um, and often sometimes some light strides as well. Um, that might even be the day before the race at marathon effort. Oh, so light strides the day before. Yeah. Just to get like a little bit of feel into the legs. And sometimes that's even just like confidence building. It's yeah. like, oh, this is fun. This is so easy. How about for shorter races, like 5k, 10k? What would that Tuesday look like? That I'm still maintaining like more intensity. It's, I think I've changed the, the taper more for like ultras and longer ultras. Yeah. So typically on that Tuesday, I would honestly, I could do, do something like 12 by one or like yeah, yeah. really having a lot more of a turnover focus. Yeah. I love it. And then, um, the week before weekend before was also aerobic for me. Is that mm-hmm. kind of stable for you usually for athletes? Yeah. Typically like for you, um, I would often do like 14 miles, 12 miles, maybe an athlete that's like lower volume than you 12 and 10 miles, yeah. maybe even 10 and eight, but purely aerobic, not a ton of vert, some vert. I think it's helpful to have like the legs marinate a little bit in vert, but not a ton. Yeah. And that's a place where I think the current understanding of the science and what may work in practice could be two slightly different things for some athletes. So (laughs) the science on tapers is mostly saying reduce volume, maintain intensity. But as we talked about in the podcast a lot, you do that you're also setting yourself up for some aerobic regression mm-hmm. um, given how mitochondria function and given how your intensity distribution might thus get out of whack. Because if you're only taking out some of your aerobic volume, you can see that, oh, well, then the intensity will no longer be pyramidal or whatever exactly. it's supposed to be yes, or yeah. polarized. It might start to become more you know, misbalanced. And how quickly can that act on elite endurance athletes? Probably pretty fast, especially for ultra runners and marathoners. Oh, yeah, we're aerobic like aerobic metabolism and aerobic efficiency is the yeah. key staple of the race. Yes. And so many of the studies have been on mile 3K, 5K, like v- pure VO2 max measures, mm-hmm. yeah. which might in fact respond really well to high intensity. So theory here, based on your tapers and how we've influenced each other and how SWAP has evolved over time, this is very provocative, um, is that some of the taper literature is not finding the best taper that works. Mm-hmm. What it's finding is that, hey, if you overload intensity for short periods of time, you can get improvements on lab tests that aren't necessarily indicative of improvements in real world race settings. So that's my spicy hot take. Our approach generally is keep it a little chiller, keep some strides going, but don't overdo it in terms of the intensity, but the volume can still be maintained a little bit. And I would much rather err on the side of chiller. Like, and I think there's a mental component too, because as we were driving to McDowell, you're like, I just fucking want to run. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think like, you know, when you reduce, like when you're feeling healthy and good and your hormones are optimized and like, you should be at that start line and be like every cell in my body right now just wants to do an ultra because I'm like caged up. I'm like yeah. ready to go. And I'd rather move more towards the end of being aerobically emphasized and, you know, aerobically tuned than being a little bit too much on the other side. Exactly. Yes, you know, yeah. especially for an athlete like me with my muscle fiber typology. So I think it's interesting. I think it also could be a little bit um, controversial. So it's good to end the podcast with it because there are probably some physiologists listening out there that want to punch us in the face right now. But I think it's, I mean, I think we're very open. And like what I tell my athletes too is, is like, hey, we're doing a little bit of an experiment here and it doesn't work for every athlete, but honestly, I've seen a fundamental difference in a lot of athletes. And so it's worth testing and figuring out and trying. And we're very open. Like show us more science, so much more data we might adapt. But for now, I really like this training plan. I don't know. Don't show me some more science. Show me more real world That's true. Yes. Well, show me the combination. These tapers are 
also com- science. They're too complicated, yeah. I think, to be really, really, really simulated outside of you know the real world. So a lot of different things can work clearly, but I'm curious to see where this field goes. Okay, uh, do you want to talk FKTs or get to hot takes? Let's do FKTs. Or really- carb study. Let's do FKTs. Okay, okay, okay. The carb study is a little ambiguous, so let's do FKTs. Okay, Jade said the Joshua Tree supported FKT yeah. 37 miles. She ran so fast. But the reason why I love this is because it's a who's who of women's trail running legends. Um, so if we go back in the day, Claire had it first, then Claire got it before winning Western States. Claire Gallagher, the year she won Western States got it. Then Keely Henninger got it. Um, now Jade Bellsberg coming in and has it. And then Rachel Drake has the unsupported yeah. women's FKT. And it's like, okay, that is like a w- group of women's trail running legends. And I just wanted to celebrate them. I love that. When else is she just throwing yourself into the fire of these? Like when Jade goes and does something like that, you know, it's scary when the best of the best have attempted it, right? Oh yeah. And that's what I want to talk about is the mental context of showing up and be like, I am chasing a whole field of women's yeah. legends who have gone out and run this hard. And the mental context of doing FKTs in like fast, like adventures, I think really helps dial in the mental framework of racing. And putting yourself out there. Yes, exactly. Like the yeah. other story from this week is Zach Miller went after Jim Walmsley's, Walmsley's Grand Canyon record. Missed it by about 16 minutes, I think. It points out that Jim's Grand Canyon record from 2016 is probably one of the greatest performances in the history of mankind. I think it's untouchable. That's my hot take. Yeah. I would agree. Actually, yeah, I don't think yeah. anyone's ever going to beat that. Yeah, which is so cool. Like we're experiencing um, untouchable greatness. Yeah, people talk about other course records and, and things. I'm like, I think the truly unbreakable thing we have right now is probably that, unless Jim decides to go for it again. Um, but all of these things, I think, point out the idea of going for something big and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the parting message on this news and fun things before we get to hot takes: is throw yourself into the fire. I didn't mention that enough last week in the 50 milers. This year of ultras for me, what it's really shown is not the value in a training theory or anything like that, just the value in being vulnerable as hell and doing something you're scared of that you don't think you can and giving it a try and not, you know, sometimes you'll do it, sometimes you won't, but no matter what, you're going to grow. So let's have 2024 be the year of throwing ourselves into the fire. And I think that can look like, it doesn't have to be the same fire that's put up on a pedestal in sport. Like I think both of us this year were like, okay, maybe we'll go for golden ticket races, like Black Canyon, Canyons, 100K. And both of us have actually navigated away from that yeah. and we're still throwing ourselves into the fire. But I think it's also like reevaluating like what we want that fire to look like. And it still feels spicy and flaming yeah. hot, but it also doesn't have to be the thing everyone else is going for. Yeah. But that being said, but also if it is, that's and, really and, cool. And if it's things that scare you, especially that's the time to do it. And yes. that's where I think yeah. ultras often can come in handy mm-hmm. is that they're so scary and unthinkable that sometimes that's where it's best to learn in running. But road marathons can be like that. Road miles can be like that. Lots of different things can. Or outside of running can be like that. Like, um, you know, I think so much happens when you're just getting a little bit uncomfortable with the very idea of attempting something. Um, and so that also applies to shooting that sh- shot with your Strava message to someone that you might want to talk to, even if you're worried about how you'll come across, like, or whatever, in your relationships, dating, jobs, anything. You know, it's all about stepping into the fire because one thing, not only do you learn about it, it makes everything short of that fire feel so much easier. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh-huh. How are you going to, are you stepping into the fire this year in running and in life? Two separate okay. concepts. Okay. Okay. Um, in running, I mean, I want to just keep doing big, hard races. Yes. I'm, I'm shying away for now from UTMB races, but um, I really want to do 
the Leadville 100. Yeah, high five. <laughs> we just talked about this last night, so yeah. it's not really. It's evolving, and you, I'm not. Yeah. No we'll one see. is holding this to like, yeah. Yeah, the course just seems so perfect for me, um, and you could pace me for like 37 miles there. Wow, oh, that would be such a dream. Yeah. A 37 mile adventure date would be amazing. Okay, how about in life? Well, first, I was just thinking, could you imagine? Uh, you with one inch shorts and I get to chase you for 37 miles at 10,000 feet. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually sometimes higher, like 13,000 feet. That'd be so cool. Well, have you ever seen the video of where like a rat is on a treadmill or something <laughs> yeah. and they just put a piece of cheese in front of it? <laughs> yeah. That is all that ass. Well, maybe I'll have some cheese with me too. You might want that at mile 80, <laughs> 80 of a race. Yeah. I was thinking you were talking about like down there cheese. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> okay. Um, in life, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me right now, life is more like every day with a kid mm-hmm. is a little bit of that, of, of being walking into a fire. Yeah. yeah and I, you know, so much of my anxiety is provoked by that, that I want to stabilize a little bit. I'm in a fire right now. <laughs> yeah, I, like I want to get it a little chiller. I like um, that. Okay. So you running in fire or right, athletics in fire. So I think I want to get back to longer ultras. Sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, I had some like <laughs> heart issues and health issues and I want to have the confidence to do a race. Megan, you're taking omega threes now. So. I know. I don't want to step up into the UTMB races. I also, or golden ticket races. Like there's some races that I feel like have ethos to them that I want to do. And I've eyed the courses for a long time. And so I would love like 50 mile, hundred K distance again. Sorry, mom. So we can excited. talk about this later. I'm so excited. And then in life, I have a few like business related things uh-huh. I want to send. So I'm excited. So is that a, a je- delicate tease of some ideas that you have that you're not allowed to mention? They're all teasing. All teasing. I'm always teasing over okay. here. <laughs> or a little tickling there of some ideas. Tickle, tickle, tickle. But <laughs> stay tuned um, because we have the smartest person coach um, and most perfect person in the world right oh, here. Thank you. Who's brewing up something special. Oh, yeah. Can I say that? I'm brewing an ecosystem of athletic <laughs> greens over here, and it smells real bad. There's some cheese down there is what we're saying. Gross. <laughs> there is not. I'm clean down there. Just not in this general <laughs> podcast. Metaphorical room. cheese, right? Metaphorical gross, cheese. Gross, gross, gross. Um, awesome. Let's get on to hot takes. Uh, we have a great listener thing there that we'll skip for next week. Um, first one here. Heat training is more beneficial than altitude training. We've mentioned this before, um, but I wanted to bring this hot take back up because I think that heat training is the most emerging um, universal element being practiced by elite athletes that no one talks about. So I had an athlete recently that was at an elite camp and the big scientific presentations were all on heat, the types of things we've told you on the podcast about how it affects hemoglobin mass and things like that. Um, And it affects stress levels and things like that positively. So if you don't have a heat option, now's a good time in the winter to be thinking about it. Do you go to that local gym and get freaky in the sauna with some really Mm -hmm. weird people Mm -hmm. that are grunting very loudly? (laughs) Or do you have a bath? Hot bath can be great. Do you have a hot tub or is it worth investing in that? Um, There's a lot of different options out there. Now's the time to think about it. Also, if you live in a swamp in the summer, it's convenience. Like you got a sauna right out the door and you can embrace that. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. That's for our Australian listeners. I know, exactly. Yes, yeah. Okay, next up. Kayaking is one of the best things to do while injured, not because of any fitness and cross-training reasons, but because it's a great way to be active and move around in nature with a lower limb injury. Okay, I 100% agree. I kayaked a ton as a kid. We like went to the beach sometimes and there were these like dunes, I think you would call them. And I would kayak, like it created this like these like snaking routes. I would kayak for like six miles. Uh It was probably at that point we were like, okay, Megan's a little bit of a weirdo. Yeah, and it just is like, Megan... I had a kid with you, and now our kid is doing this weird shit all the time. <laughs> I know. He this wants to do the kayaking equivalent of like six miles. Yeah. yeah, with everything. He, he's obsessed with climbing the stairs. He will do it like over and over and, and over again. When we block off the stairs, he gets so upset 
at us for blocking the stairs. And I'm like, Megan, you could have prevented this by not being so crazy. I know. Could we like create a baby stair mill? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he needs to come down to the pain cave and do it with us. Okay. Where are the baby treadmills? Yeah. Like all of these things. Actually, I heard Peloton treadmills. Like, Oh yeah. I've like killed babies. Actually killed babies. Yes. Yeah. So. We're sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we should rethink our yes. startup idea of baby treadmill. Yeah. Um, so table that one. Okay. On to the next one. Hot take, all shorts should have an 11-inch in, inch inseam. Well, this fits perfectly with our podcast. Let's change that to a one-inch inseam. Yeah. Actually, no, 11 inches is delightful. I would love to run in a short knee, too. Yeah. I'm going polarized. 11 inches is a lot longer than that. You know how there's, like, polarized training distributions? Yeah. I'm going polarized short distributions. <laughs> one inch and 11 inch, bitches. Very short, but very long. <laughs> That's so perfect. Um, next up. Every top athlete should be required to wear barefoot shoes for Western states. Then we would see who is actually the fittest. Okay, I disagree with this on like a training perspective, but this would be epic and it would make for great TV and it would be fascinating. So like from an enjoyment and like this is curious perspective, yeah. See, I got those horse feet. You do have- My feet are tough as shit. It's because my parents put me in shoes Uh from like six months on and my feet are weak. Leo's never going to be wearing shoes. I know, he hasn't. Leo's going to be Anton Kropitschka. (laughs) He's going to be so fucking minimal. (laughs) His Achilles tendons are going to be made of steel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, But it is interesting to think about like true fitness requiring uh, no interaction with the shoe at all. Uh It kind of really- draws home our my point that I sometimes make about poles. I don't love poles because I'm like, it's not a part of physiology, but shoes aren't a part of physiology either. So maybe this listener is onto something deep uh, and important. They aren't onto something. Also, Leo is walking now, which is really excited. Honestly, I feel like he could have walked for a long time. He just doesn't really want to. And now that he knows how to walk, he also doesn't really like walking. He just wants to crawl everywhere. But one listener was like, get him some poles. Get him some poles. Probably help him. He probably love poles. Yeah. Until he stabs his eye out. Or (laughs) Addy's eye out. Um, All right. Do you want to do any more? Actually, yeah, let's do one more. I like this one because it's a contradiction. First one. I'm going to read two. I'm a man and can't disagree more with David States on running tights and half tights. They are the best. Um, And then he goes into the reasons. And then next person. Half tights are like duct ta- taping sandpaper to the inside of your shorts. <laughs> and I like this. Two different hot takes because it really shows the full, you know, uh, rainbow, the full glitter uh, aspect of human experience is so wildly different. And we uplift it all. We love where you're coming from. If you disagree with us on anything, we love you. Um, so I just kind of loved that two different things from two different people. Isn't it so good? We also get like hot takes from like barefoot running to the Hoka Stinsons. It's yeah, like yeah. we have a whole one inch shorts to 11 inch shorts and like the tapestry of humanity is yeah. so cool. And There's something for everyone. Uplift yourself in whatever that thing is. Like, and be open. Maybe yeah. like the 11 inch short is your new thing. Maybe if you strive a message somebody about it, you're going to live happily ever after, <laughs> making fun of their vaginal cheese. Gross. <laughs> Sorry, Enough. That, no, no, no more. That statement so is never forever and like ever, ever in the rest of our relationship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny because like when I go for something like that, part of my brain flashes like a red warning sign. And often I do ignore it actually, which is scary. To <laughs> and there I was like, you know, at the end of the podcast, might as well go for you can say whatever you want an hour and 25 no, minutes. Your, your ecosystems are, are remarkable. They're perfect. They're in fact so good. That it's almost scary. Well, I'd be honored if it was like growing something down there, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, my point is, it's like you should be growing more. I feel like because like everyone says microbiome matters so much. Yeah. So Megan, you gotta, there's there's a spectrum between microbiome and cheese. You gotta just like there's a spectrum between one inch and eleven inch shorts. <laughs> you gotta grow algae because then we'll have omega threes from 
Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> stop now. <laughs> okay, on to listener corner. Thank you for answering my question. This was one that we did on the main podcast last week. I was excited to hear the uh, massage question. Sometimes I worry I'm being a bother on my messages and it'll get buried, but you guys really make me feel like a part of a community and make me feel special by responding to everything I've sent and talking about some of it on the podcast. And we will. On Patreon, we will respond to everything and we'll also do it over email, which is not great business practice, but <laughs> yeah. subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. I'm trying to increase your podcast numbers in Denmark. Huzzah! Um, but the reason I'm reading it is this. Now that I've had a hot take and a listener question answered, I just need to get to a listener corner to complete my swap triple crown. It's way more coveted than a Strava crown. I love that. The swap triple crown. First ever swap triple crown is this listener. Is this the first ever? I don't know. Yes, yes. Absolutely. 100%. I've gone back through. I've crunched the numbers. I've gotten into nature and found (laughs) that this is the first person to have all three of those elements. Okay. But it's got to be a quadruple queasy next yeah. because uh we're gonna add secrets oh. they gotta send us a secret okay for our next mess for our next like holiday recording yeah so send us a secret uh that's super exciting hopefully their secret doesn't involve growth the way i wanted to end the podcast yeah um this oh is this should be good oh, my, oh man i'm, I'm actually excited for it okay can i introduce it, and i promise it, it doesn't end badly okay but on Friday, uh-huh. when I put on the Patreon bonus podcast, which is the 30-minute podcast. Oh, no. Here. I'm starting to melt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did we fuck up? I, I, so in the editing process, I uploaded the, the wrong unedited one. version. What did we say? We just whispered. It was, it was good. What it was did good. we whisper about? Um, just like what we were going to talk about next. Was um, it? Everyone's still- And we, there was like a little like, you know, at the end, right before we started speaking with and then did it. Oh, it was very cute. matter of fact. It was yes. so matter of fact. Yeah. Um, and I was oh, too scared to tell you. That scares me. Because I woke up to, on Saturday to like six comments. Oh, no. That's like, so, did you fix hey. it or did you just leave it? <laughs> <laughs> you just did the scream mask thing in your face. Oh, I know. Um, I'm like. No, I fixed it immediately because I had the edited version. It yeah. was there. I just uploaded the wrong Oh, my one. God, David. That's so embarrassing. Yeah. And it could have been bad because. It could have been really. Actually, usually it's actually just really funny. Yeah, yeah. What were you talking about? And I, I didn't go back and listen to it, but it was nothing bad. Oh, fuck. So. At the end of this podcast, we have a little uh, whisper that came uh, naturally. Oh, earlier. that's true. Yeah, stay for it. <laughs> stay for it. Stay around for the goods. <laughs> Somehow it doesn't involve cheese. Thank the fucking door. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you, Megan. And uh, I love your Swiss. I love you. I love your cheddar, man. <laughs> you know what we should you call know what? you? But what? Swiss is the worst. It's got holes. You know what we should call you? So do you. You know what we should, <laughs> <laughs> we should call you? What? The Swiss Miss. Oh, my God. We love you all. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're looking sexy <laughs> I'm definitely leaving that in <laughs> woohoo <laughs>